what was I going to say? Oh, so today I spent a lot of my day uh, doing some research because I want I want this to be you know exciting and enjoyable and not leave you bored with something that I've already heard before. So here's uh, here's some of what I was doing. I was trying to do research of interesting things that happens to our body whilst we are just chilling, whilst we are sitting. What's happening to us behind the scenes with our bodies without us even knowing about it? And I'm going to do this so that we could tie it into this week's Torah portion, you'll see, and tie it in to what we've been speaking about already for the past few weeks, which is mental health, how we can maintain a physical healthy body, but also a healthy brain because a lot of the problems that are going on are not problems which are uh, physical problems. A lot of our problems are mental problems. When we see hundreds of homeless people on the streets in a country which has jobs and has ability for people to have actual work, not always, but a lot of times there's something to do with not the education, not the money, but something else on the side that's causing our problems. And it's very much to do with our mental health, how we think about life, what our value systems are in life. And they affect us completely in terms of, in terms of how we react to things. You can have somebody who looks healthy on the outside, but very unhealthy on the inside. I say this all the time. You can have somebody who smokes and has a great body and works out in the gym and is in great shape, but they're smoking, rotting inside. You can have a tree. We had a tree just behind over here, which we took down, and it looked totally fine. But when they came, they said, no, this tree is completely rotting. It's not going to last. It's, it might look fine, but it's actually a hazard. You've got to take it down. So you can have things that look good on the outside, but are rotting from within. And right now, it looks fine, but in the long run, 30, 40, 50 years from now, it will be a miracle if it survives. Okay, so that's that's why what we need to strengthen, especially after a year like the year that we've been through, is strengthen our mental muscles, the muscles of the brain. So we are going to do this, and part of it is recognizing the values of the body that we have, all the miracles that are happening behind the scenes that we don't even think about. So here, this is what I've... Uh, been studying today so we have something called the automatic what they call in science the automatic nervous system so behind the scenes there's a nervous system going on and it's doing wonders without us knowing about it some people call it nature i like to call it god it says from my flesh alone i could see god just by studying the body i study dna and where did this come from what dna where, where did that come from it's like a, it's like a, a, a drip of ink landing on a paper and causing you the most gorgeous painting. Where did that painting come from? Just a random drip? No, a trillion chances of drips. Eventually, you'll get the right painting. Please. Right? A trillion, even a billion, trillion, million, I don't know how many numbers of drips. You'll never get the most gorgeous painting. And a painting within a painting, hidden inside that painting. Right? That's how a human's born. The Talmud says the most beautiful thing about a, a human being born is that it's a human within a human. A human being can draw a picture. But to create a creation within a creation, a, a picture within a picture, fine. But, a, but to create a living robot within a robot, 
that's another whole right how do you get into that robot to create the other robot what's going on here but that's how it is and to come along and say it's all random is a belief much more than it is to say that it actually has put it organized it's much much more of a belief to say that it's all random than to say it's organized no you must agree even if you're if you tell me i'm atheist agree with me it takes more belief to believe that you're an atheist it's just easier there's no responsibility then it takes to believe that there's a creator that everything has a plan and it's organized i mean dna come on just one little speck of your body tells me all about your hair color your your eyes exactly your 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 aging mechanism how you're going to age and everything about you in one little speck even before you at the moment of conception i mean where where what what more do we need the more science we learn the more we see so let's look at the body a second and talk about the automatic nervous system this is whilst you're sitting on a couch or even during a workout when you work out 120 to 150 times during your workout at least your heart is pumping and whilst you sleep between 50 and 60 times now when that's happening blood is being is it flows blood sorry about the music in the background i hope you that's why that's one of the reasons why we have a microphone one of the reasons it's good you know like when you have a good uh conversation in the background no when you have a good conversation there's good background music so this goes perfectly with me so um so we might have to ramp up the sound but anyway the the i can rap it too by the way i can rap about god too okay okay but let's talk about flow actually so uh <laughs> you know when your heart's bump- pumping blood is flowing now how does it bl- how does it flow well it needs to flow in different levels at different places listen to this your lungs they need to take in oxygen the correct blood flow needs to go into every single muscle now the muscles that you have need less blood in it especially when you're working out so that they can actually function but the brain needs a constant flow of 750 milliliters every minute of blood it's almost a liter of blood constantly flowing in the brain can you imagine almost a liter every minute is flowing into the brain every day i know every day every day one liter of saliva is produced one liter whilst 1.2 milliliters of tears is produced without you crying if you cry there'll be much more right but just uh, without crying just to maintain cleanliness in the eye 1.2 milliliters of tears the body sweats to maintain your temperature and right in order to maintain your perfect temperature your body's constantly sweating but always make sure that you remain in the right temperature if you're overheating it keeps sweating a little bit more so that there's cool and your body cools down listen to this that's how by the way they use lie detectors right lie detectors mainly works off the sweat of the body so if they see that you're sweating slightly it's because you're heating and in order to cool down there's a bit of sweat being released and it shows that there was a little uh, a little lie going on over here right so that's how lie detectors work they work off the sweat now what's very interesting is and we're going to go back into the blood flow in a minute because that's amazing but the eye 
the eye is able to change from 1.5 millimeters, right? Where, the, where you're actually seeing 1.5 millimeters to 8 millimeters. That moves from 28 times the size. It can, the pupil, the iris can build itself greater by 28 times in order to change itself from night vision to, from day vision to night vision. When it's darker, it needs to open more to let in more light. It can go 28 times bigger just like that. Now, that's not so simple, right? Because um, in order to maintain, listen to this, the time that it takes to adapt light to, uh, one second, it says here, I wrote down here, the, the, there are two muscles in your eye that they contract and relax each simultaneously at the same time. There's two muscles in the eye. One is contracting and one is letting loose at the same time. And why does it do that? So that you can actually see the right to adapt clearly to the light that's coming into the iris, which is the color part of your eye. If we forget to contract the eye, we can damage it. Imagine we had to contract the eye ourselves, right? So you come suddenly into a place where there's light. It's a miracle that in the morning, light doesn't come straight away. It's a message to us as well that we shouldn't expose ourselves too quickly to light. It's bad for you to immediately go from a, a, a place of darkness to a place of light straight away. But miraculously, the eye is able to do that. In seconds, without us knowing about it, it switches. Now, if your eye wouldn't do that, if those muscles weren't working, you would be blinded. Because do you know how strong the light is to the eye when it's, it needs to see? If it's allowing too much light in it, you would be blinded. So your eye is constantly contracting and letting itself go so that it can always see the perfect vision. And if it was to have too much light, immediately, immediately it would contract so that you could still see and not damage your eyes. Your eyes are extremely sensitive. But behind the scenes, it's constantly going like this. Right? 28 times its size. Like this, all the time. It's very, very small, but look, think about how much it's going like this all the time. The minute you're exposed to a bit of light, it changes. You get into dark, it changes constantly. When we stand up, what happens? Gravity pulls the blood down. It pulls all the blood to the ground. So that means that we need less blood pressure in the bottom of our body and more pushing the blood to the head because we can't lose 750 mils of, of blood in the brain. So it's constantly got to make up for it. How does it do that? That's how the, the automatic nervous system tells the blood where to shoot the blood to. And it tells it to go in different directions at different speed so that you can have more flood, uh, blood flow in the brain and less blood flow in the bottom of your body. Isn't that amazing? To me, it's mind-blowing. When blood flows downwards, other parts give up their blood in order to maintain the blood in the brain because the, the brain needs to constantly, in order to work and function, needs to constantly have a flow of, a flow of blood. So what happens is... Right, I'm not going to rap, that's for sure. So what happens is some of the, the organs of your body doesn't need that much blood all the time. So what it does is 
it lets go of the need of blood. It lets it go and it allows the blood and the pressure to be pushed upwards so that your brain still maintains. That's all whilst you stand up. You stand up. There's a whole world going on with your blood pressure that you don't even think about. To maintain the gravity which is pulling the blood down and maintain the 750 mils of blood that's going into the brain and the other parts that needs the blood. And some parts of your body gives off the blood so it can actually... Who's talking? Who, who's talking to the body? Who's talking to it? But it's got a whole massive communication system that's going on every minute without us talking to it. It's mind-blowing. And this is why we say in Jewish prayer, it says in Tehillim like this. This is a, a, uh, an idea that's pointed out by a great rabbi, the Khatam Sofer, that lived a few hundred years ago. He says like this in Psalms 136, we say like this. Hashem is osen niflaot gedolot levado. God does great wonders alone. What does that mean? It almost sounds like there's more than one God. Is that true in Judaism? Do we believe in monotheism or many polytheism? Right? We believe in one God. So what does it mean that God does great wonders alone? It seems that you're trying to tell me, well, of course he does it alone. Who else is he doing it with? Someone else? Obviously, God does wonders alone. What does it mean he does wonders alone? And he points out this idea. There's wonders alone because there's things we know about and there's things that we don't know about that's happening in our body without us even knowing. It's alone because, shh, secret. That's why it takes tremendous godliness to be humble. You do a great act of kindness. You don't tell anyone about it. You're being like God. That's an amazing quality to have. To do a tremendous act of kindness in the world and no one knows about it. I'm doing it because I want to do it. That's the most godly-like thing you can do. Do you know why? Because God does that all the time. In your body, the brain, right now, science is slowly revealing everything that God does. But even with the revelation, it still reminds me of the amount of miracles that are happening behind the scenes that we don't even see. And I've only spoken about the... I've only spoken about small things. What about white blood cells, which I've spoken about many times, which takes only 1% of your blood? A small amount of your blood. It goes against the flow in order to heal. The minute there's a cut, imagine, imagine a shirt. Imagine having a shirt that tears, and the minute it tears, all the threads communicate. They say, hey, emergency, there's a, there's a tear. We've got to send itself back to the arm Send some threads. Give up some of your threads. Go against the flow of gravity. Go against the flow of the other, thread, of the other threads. And get back to the arm. Fix its tear. How much would such a shirt cost? A shirt that that's, fixes itself? Auto- but that's what happens. Do you know what happens when a person cuts his arm? A, a, a world is going on. There are different types of white blood cells. Some are thinner than others. Some are faster than others. Some go against. White blood cells are able to go against the blood flow. It's like when you have an emergency and you have an ambulance. It goes against the traffic, right? Because it needs to get to its destination the quickest route. That's exactly how white blood cells work too. There's a cut in my arm. It goes against the the blood flow. There's an alarming system in my body. It goes against the blood flow. How does blood go against its own flow, right? The cells go against its own flow 
in order to go and heal me. It's mind-blowing. And that's just something small. What am I talking about? I don't even know everything. I'm, I'm, only, in, uh, right? I'm only ignorant in terms of what I know about blood. I know somebody who said to me, I, want, I came closer to Judaism because I'm studying blood. I'm studying blood. I'm becoming a doctor. And one of the things I've been studying recently is blood. And it's blown my mind. Just blood alone. How it works. It's got a mind of itself. And then it, it, it kills itself. It's got the suicide cells. Which they come and they expose themselves. So they actually start, you know, as soon as blood's exposed to the air, so then it gets, it congeals, right? So the cells come here. They see the cut. They, they, they kill themselves. They actually, and they have arms. They spread each other's arms out to stop more blood flow coming out. So to stop, because really, as soon as somebody cuts himself, there should be a constant flow of blood. It should never be healed. But the cells have a certain amount. In, within your blood cells, there's a certain amount of white blood cells, which is constantly healing you. Do you need any more proof than this? So, that's what it means. Osen niflaot gedolot levador. If there's a creator, he's doing some great wonders on his own that we don't even know about. And that's the story of this week's Torah portion. This week's Torah portion, and this is to do with mental health. I'm going to show you why. Because when we think about what's going on in our body and in, our, in the way that we live, we start realizing, how can I ever be sad? How am I depressed? How can I complain? I'm, I'm filled with so much love. David says, Good and kindness is constantly chasing me. How can I complain? After all this good is chasing me and all this kindness is chasing me, how can I ever complain? So there's a story of Balak and Bilam. You know the story? Okay, let me tell you the story. The Jews are coming out of, the, out of uh, Egypt. They get the Torah. And they start making their way to the land of Israel. Now they face a lot of different oppositions, a lot of different nations that try to stop them. They faced Amalek. They faced different nations. The Emory, Edom, different nations. There's one nation... The Moabites, that was, their king at the time was Balak. The leader of their time, was his name was Balak. And he said, okay, I know that to fight these small Jewish people, it's not going to work. I can't physically fight them. We have many, many more soldiers, many more swords. These little uh, nation that's in the desert, we can't fight them physically. But we can fight them spiritually. So he went and got a special prophet called he rec recruited a prophet called Bilam. And this guy Bilam was from another nation. He was from the nation, not of Moab, he was the nation of Midian. Bilam was another, another leader. And he was a prophet. He knew how to speak to God. Yes, even a non-Jew. He knew how to speak to God. God gave him prophecy. He gave the nations of the world also prophecy. So he also knew how to speak to God. So he called him up and he says, please, curse the Jews. And then he gets a dream. And in the dream, God speaks to him. He says, you can't curse the Jews. You, you can only curse that which is cursed or bless that which is blessed. They're blessed already. You can't do anything. So he tells his people, his, the people that come to see him, the messengers of Balak, he says to them, listen, I can't do anything. Go back home. I, I'm, Hashem can't let me work with, I can't work with you, he says. He was proud. He didn't want to say that I can't do it. He said, I can't work with you. So eventually they come, they bring more people, and eventually Bal B 
Bilam says, God says to him, you know what, if you really want, go try. And the story is that Bilam, this guy, goes, he goes on his donkey and he travels all the way to where the Jewish people are and he tries to curse the Jewish people. And he tries three different times. He, he, he has seven different altars and he tries three different times to curse the Jewish people. And each time he tries, he opens his mouth and instead of cursing, he blesses them. Now, all of this happens without the Jewish people knowing about it. That's the miracle here. A tremendous story of two massive nations trying to destroy the Jewish people without the Jews even knowing. Sound familiar? How many times throughout history and even now uh, we sing every year, Every generation, someone tries and Hashem saves us. Yeah, every generation, because we don't even know about it. And we're not just talking about spiritual enemies, physical enemies in our body. Physically, like we said, there are things that could cause me to get sick. Bacteria cells. There's more bacteria in my body than there are cells. But the body is able to fight it all the time. There's miracles going on behind the scenes which we don't even know about. Just like this story. They tried. Three times he tries to curse the Jewish people. And each time he failed. And this is why we have, actually, in Judaism, there's ten things that you need to remember every day. Ashkenazic custom, they have six. You get away with it. You have six. But the Sephardic custom is that there's ten things from the Torah that we need to constantly remember every day. We need to always remember these ten things. One of them is Shabbat. Every day, remember that there's Shabbat. There's a day of rest. I'm not a slave to my physical world. Every day, Zachol v'shamol. Keep Shabbat, but also remember Shabbat. So there's a mitzvah every day. If you mention the word Shabbat during the week, you see a nice state, you say, you know what, I'm going to leave it for Shabbat. You did a mitzvah. Because you show yourself, I'm not a slave to my six days of work. That's what someone, Zeke, came for Shabbat and he said, that very nice idea. He said, listen, when I take away my phone on Shabbat, he said this, when I put away my phone on Shabbat, I show myself that during the week, I'm in control of my phone as well. So even when I'm with my phone during the week, Shabbat teaches me that I'm in control of it. Because if I'm able to take one day and say, you, go away, then I could show myself that who's in control of it, me or, or it? Who's in control of it? Who's in control? And if, if I'm able to say, I'm in control of you for one entire day, then all six days that I use it, I also show myself I'm in control. It's a nice idea. I agree. That's the idea of six days you shall work and the seventh day you should rest. It doesn't just say rest on the seventh day. Six days you shall work because the idea is when you, when you rest one day, the other six days are affected by it. If you have seven days working nonstop, it's, never, it's not seven days. It's one long day. The eighth day is also another work day. Ninth, tenth, eleventh. It just comes one long day. Boo. Can you imagine one note? It's horrible. You've got to have change. So the day that you take off from your creativity is a day that actually enhances all other six days. It's a Jewish idea. Shabbat. Anyway, so Balak and Bilam, 
There's seven, there's 10 different memories that we have to have. We have to remember about Egypt. There's a lot of depth behind that. We have to remember Shabbat. We have to remember Amalek, the nation that tried to completely wipe us out. We have to remember Mount Sinai. There's 10 things that a person reads. If you go to Shul, the end of Davening, at the end of synagogue, there's like a list of 10 things you can read. It's nice. You read it and you think about them. What does that mean to me? Don't just read it. What does this mean to me? What's the message behind it? Not just read words. What's the message to me? So here's another one. You have to remember one nation that tried to kill us. Then you remember also the story of Balak and Bilam. What they tried to do to our forefathers. In order to know the kindness of God. I don't understand. Why do I need to remember two different nations that tried to kill us? I need to remember Amalek. And I need to remember Balak and Bilam that tried to kill us. Why? Why do I... There's many times that, do I need to remember uh, uh, Hitler tried to kill me every day? Do I need to remember this one that tried to kill me? That One time, remember that people tried to kill us. That's it. Why do I need to remember? What's the idea here? Because with Balak and Bilam, there's a hidden idea. We didn't know about it. With Amalek, they were in our face. We knew that they tried to kill us. There are people that try to hurt you openly. And then there's tr- people that try and hurt you behind the scenes. How many more people do you think are hateful behind the scenes? And how many people do you think, uh, what's, what's the ratio? How many people do you think hate us in front of our face? Much less. It takes guts to say, I hate you in your face. At least, thank God, you've told me that you don't like me, right? What's better? When you're going out on a date and someone, here now i got your attention. What's better? When you're going out on a date and someone tells you, uh, you know, I'm really... I'm really sorry. I'm, you know, I don't think it's a good fit. That's a great way of saying. Agree? It's a great way of saying. I don't think we're a good fit. So uh, I don't think we're a good fit. What's better, someone who says straight out, "I don't think you're a good fit," or someone who doesn't know how to say that and leaves you lingering and thinking for months on end that maybe, maybe, right? What's better? The first one. Well, you want somebody who's like, who's being nice. They don't want to say to you we're not a good fit, so they give you idea that maybe you're interested, and you're like, oh my. She, She's so cute. And she said hi. Right? She said hi to me. And then the next day, she even said, wow, she said, so uh, where was I? The 10 memories that you have to remember every day. Why? Because there's also something that happens to you every time. This is what it says also in Micha. Remember what Balak and uh, the king of Moab tried to do to the Jewish people. What did he do? He tried to uh, destroy us. He Balak recruited Bilam. Uh, in order that you should always know the kindness of God. What does it mean, the kindness of God? That happens behind the scenes. There's tremendous love going on without us even knowing about it behind the scenes. But we forget. Anyway, there is a saying that's also, that from here we also learn another idea. There's a saying in the Talmud which says that a person can't lift his little finger against you Unless it's been announced above. Unless it's been told, decreed from God, no one can touch you. Unless it's a decree of God. Ah, so where's the free will? Someone comes to hit me. Was it his choice to hit me? Or not? What? It was his choice. So then, but wasn't God involved in making me hit? When I look at it, I need to say, God wanted it to happen. If it was God that wanted to happen, where was his free will? 
You hear the question? It says in the Talmud, no one can hit me unless God dictates for it to happen. No one can even lift his little finger. You see, I lifted my little finger. That's because God wanted it to happen. And if I want to hurt somebody else, God wanted it to happen. Otherwise, I can't hurt somebody else. You can't do something to someone unless God dictates for it. So then where's your free will? Do you hear the question? How can I ever convict someone for murder? He chose to do it. He chose to do it? He didn't choose to do it. It was God that made him do it. You hear the question? If there's a God behind this everything, which basically we've said there is, right? So then how can I hit somebody? If there's free will, so then is it my choice or God's choice? So I get hit in my head by somebody, right? The guy was swinging his bat like an idiot, and I'm walking past. He's like, smacks my head. Wait, 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 Omri. Uh, not Omri. Uh, right? Neil. Somebody. No, no, no. Right? So somebody, he's, he's swinging his bat and hits my head. So. No, intentionally, he's swinging it. He knows that it's going to hit someone. He's banging it. There's 10 people here. It happens to be he hits my head. Okay? Who, who gets hit? Me? Yeah. What am I meant to say? Who, who's to blame? The person that, in some ways, God, but also the person that hit it. The person that hit me. What? Okay, if it's not intentional, then I could for sure say it was God. But if someone intentionally does it, was it God or no? There is free will. There is free will, but then how am I meant to look at it? Am I meant to say that this is from Hashem? He chose me more than anyone else. He could have chosen 10 people. He was a crazy person. He could have chosen anyone else. Why did he choose me? That was God. So where's, what, what exactly is God and what's exactly the free will? You're saying there is free will. It's good. You're right. But at the same time, somebody's getting hit in the head and he's meant to say that everything happens from God. Do you understand the question? We have a rule. The fact that the person got hit, for sure it was from God. The person that used the bat and hit you is also someone who's going to be convicted. He's going to get in trouble for doing that. But we have a rule. This is the rule. Listen well. The person that does bad to someone else is because God wanted him, he's already done bad in the past, and God wanted him to be the messenger to do more bad. The person that did good is because he's already a good person and God wants him to do more good. For instance, in Egypt, the Jews went to Egypt. Should we blame the Egyptians for enslaving the Jews? No. God said that I'm going to put the Jews in Egypt. It was, we say, thank God for taking us out of Egypt. Great, you took us out there. But who put us there in the first place? Huh? God. He even said to Abram, I'm going to put you there in the first place. So the answer is that if somebody's hurt, it's from God. That's true. The person that's hurt needs to look at it and say, that was from God. The person, but why was it this person specifically? Because he's a bad person. He didn't, why should it have been him? Why was it him? That was his choice. 
It could have been through someone else. Me getting hit, I had to have been. That had to have happened. That was a decree already from God. But why through him? It could have been from a random meteorite that fell off the sky and hit my head. Why did it have to be him? That's his choice. Do you understand? Me getting hit was from God. It would have happened either from him, someone else. doesn't matter. That's how I have to look at it. When someone hurts me, instead of getting angry with him, I need to say it could have happened from anyone. Me getting hit, this is what emunah is. When something doesn't go my way, I say to it happening to me, it was a kapara. It was an atonement for something. There's a reason for it. Why did it have to be this person? That's his problem. He's going to deal with it. That's his problem. He, that's wrong, right? Again, another idea. It says, it says about uh, having a roof. You know, if you have a, a high building and you've got a rooftop, you have to have a fence. It's called in Hebrew. Does anyone know what it's called? The mitzvah? Yeah, fen- not fencing around the Torah. That's siag la Torah. I'm talking about if you have a high building, a building that's high, and your rooftop is open. You have parties on the rooftop. You're not allowed to have that rooftop available to the public if you don't have a fence around it. There's a requirement. One of the 613 mitzvot is to put a fence. As long as it's 10, tf- I think it's 10 tfachim, which is not, it's like a meter high, a meter and a half high. Anything that's a meter and a half high, even if you have steps, Going into a house, if it's a meter and a half high, some, a child can fall off the side, you're going to be accountable for that. According to the Torah, you have a requirement of ma'akeh. Have you heard of this before? It's a mitzvah in the Torah. If you have a, if you have a house with a roof, you've got to put a fence around it before you allow people to go on that roof. If you don't put a fence around it, you can't allow people to go on. Why? Because if they fall, you'll be accountable. How does the Torah tell me? Kipol hanofel. Excuse me. Be, be, stay with me because it's Talmudical. Kipol hanofel. The person that's meant to fall will fall. That's what the Torah says. If you don't put a fence around the roof, the person that's meant to fall will fall off the roof. What does it mean he's meant to fall? Because you might say, listen, if let's say I don't have a, a, a fence around the roof, and someone's on the top floor having a party, right? And he falls off the roof. I might say, listen, it's God's fault. Why should I be blamed? It's God's fault. He fell off the roof. Yeah, but Yipol Hanofel is true that he was meant to fall. It's true that this person was meant to fall off the roof. That's God's decree. But why is it from you? You could have avoided it. He could have fallen somewhere else. Whether he was meant to fall, that was for sure. God wanted him to be injured. There's a reason behind it. Right? A lot of times it's for his benefit. Whatever it is. He, he was meant to be injured. But why is it from you? That's the question. That's what it means. The person that's falling, who's meant to fall, will fall. When it comes to free will, yes, you have free will. Whether somebody gets hurt, though, that's because of God's decree. That's what it means in the Talmud. En adam no Sorry. En adam no No one lifts up his small finger from the world here unless it's been decreed in the world above. So even if someone goes on your back like this, and you're like, ow, why did he do that? That was a decree from Hashem. Why he did it? You can ask him. Because it, why was it him? Should have been someone else. Why, why was it you? 
That is a question that God needs to deal with, and he will deal. Why was it you? Why did you hit me on the back? That's true. That was your, that was your problem that you had free will for. But me getting hit on my back, that was a decree that was going to happen either way, whether it was from him or someone else. It was going to happen. You guys with me? So that's what we see also with Balak and Bilam. He tried to curse. He could try all day, all day long. If they're not meant to be cursed, you can't. He says, no, no, you know what? I'll even bless them. He says, try. They're already blessed. What's it going to help? So he tries to bless them. They're already blessed. Nothing helps. Okay, I want to speak just a bit more because we've been speaking about having mental health. Part of this is all to do with mental health, right? The aspect of emuna, All of this. By the understanding that there's miracles that's happening behind the scenes. Understanding that whatever happens is meant to happen. And I don't need to be worried because someone else is running the world. I don't need to run the world. It's all part of this conversation. The second aspect we spoke about in the past is gratitude. And the third is about being positive. But there are physical things that we could do daily to make, sh- make sure that we are healthy. Okay, so there's things that physically you can do that also help you being healthy in the mind. Number one, physical things. If, let's say, someone's bothering you, what do you do? Or someone says something that's really inappropriate. Or uh, you hear bad news, some sad news. Of course, right? If they're in your face and they're doing something wrong, of course, you have to tell them, you have to look after yourself, right? But the first thing, right? Because a lot of times, a lot of times the emotions are hitting you and the, the reaction could be very wrong. Don't laugh. First thing, whenever you hear, you lost a lot of money, who are you going to tell to back off? I lost a lot of money. God, back off. Well, you might lose more, right? So what are you going to do? First thing, it's important to take yourself to a, sp- a space that you're alone and literally, t- don't laugh, but take deep breaths. Take some time. Before you react to anything, go somewhere quiet where you're alone and take some deep, deep breaths so that you can first allow the situation to go through you. A lot of times, the automatic reaction right, is emotion. And if we allow the emotion to flare up, it gets much worse. And then it becomes so much worse than what it really is. I always say, good news always sounds, when it's physical things, always sounds much better than it really is. Bad news always sounds much worse than it really is. After, after a while, you're like, okay, it's not that bad. I can survive. After a while, it wasn't that good. What was I making a fuss about? Okay, I won 20, 20 grand. But, right, it's, but it, it was good. But it wasn't that good. Screaming like a nut job for two days, like screaming. Right? right? What, what are they thinking? So, was that, is that a bad word to say? No. Okay. Let's just, okay. So, uh, screaming. You see how, many, how much I'm influenced. I don't, I don't even know what I'm saying. So, screaming like an idiot. Uh, uh, about how excited I am about $20,000 that I made. Who knows? After a while, it's okay. okay. You move on. What was I so excited about? Also with bad news. We, we get hyped up with bad news thinking it's the end of the world. That's my life is over. And then after a while, okay, let's do this. We can do this. We can do this. But the beginning, if you allow that emotion 
to kick in, you can feed the emotions. Right? We always say Melech is a Melech is somebody who can control his mind over his emotions and his desires. Melech is Moach, the mind. Lev is emotions, the heart. And Kalev is your your desires and your liver. Your uh, sorry, your kaved. Kaved is your liver, is where you have your desires inside of you that you can control it. If you have a melech, if you're a melech as a king, you use your mind over your emotions and over your desires. That's a king. Someone who allows his emotions and his desires to control him, then you're not a king. You're a slave to your emotions. So the first thing is to go somewhere. Don't let, just give, some, give the emotions some time. Also, by the way, with arguments in relationships, the same advice. Give the emotions some time. At first, the reaction, I can't believe you said that. I cannot believe you said that. But if you waited just a few more minutes, because the emotions calmed down, you didn't allow the emotions to wake up, you can actually say to yourself, okay, it's not that bad. I can survive. Make sense? Okay. So the first thing, if something bad happens that doesn't go your way, take a deep breath. Second thing, very important to make sure that you have a health in your mind is a good amount of sleep. Sometimes you're very frustrated. We see this with children mainly, but we're all children. That's what my, my mother-in-law always says. It's not, we're not, we're also kids. We're hungry. We're also kids and we also get hungry. Just kids, they express their feelings much, they're much open. There's no screen, right? There's no filter. You see what you get, right? I wish we were as clean as that. But we hide the whole world in front of us. So we are like children. If we don't have good sleep, we react to things in a much, much worse way than if we did have good sleep. So a good amount of sleep is always important. Maimonides says between six and eight hours, not too much, but within the right balance is always important. Healthy eating. Let me tell you what Maimonides says about healthy eating. This all has to do with mental health. What's meant healthy eating? This is a rule that I always try to go by. Um, I do fail sometimes, but this is, uh, this is the rule. Maimonides says, don't only go for taste. Because you taste good. This is the biggest proof of instant gratification. Taste good, but then the body, it, goes in your, it goes in your body and stays there. Your body has to now process all this stuff. Just because it tastes good doesn't mean it is good. The taste is just the beginning aspect. Don't only go for tastes. If you go just for good taste, you're going to eat things which are unhealthy. Okay, so look for things that are tasty, but also are going to be healthy for you at the, at the same time. Not just going for the sweet. Matok lachech, it says. Sweet for the throat, but not sweet for the stomach. Okay, so uh, healthy dieting is one not only going for something which is sweet at the beginning, but also sweet in the stomach. And second, second is leaving a quarter of your plate. Okay, good, good tip. Never fill your stomach to its fullest. Maimonides says that if somebody follows his directions of health, I've given a class on this in the past. If someone uh, follows his directions of physical health, uh, if there's no other underlying problems, I can guarantee him that he'll live through a long life. 
right? Physically, unless there's other underlying problems. But if without that, if you look after your body in the right way, one of them is never overstuff your stomach. Leave. That's why we say in benching after the meal, we say, What we left over should be a blessing. What does it mean what we left over should be a blessing? What we leave over that we didn't eat. The fact that we left our stomach three quarters full and left a quarter empty, I didn't stuff myself till I can't breathe. That already is a blessing for me and it's going to be good for me. It should be a blessing for me. It should be good for me because that's how a person has control when they're able to eat to the right amount with not eating till they're fullest. Maimonides says it's better to eat less healthy but with smaller amounts than healthy. Right, let's say uh, nutrition. Tell me something with good nutrition. Chicken, lots of nutrition. Or fish, lot- too much fish is also not good. Too much of anything's not good. But what about a little bit? Like, for instance, today, carbs are no go. Right, carbs are very bad. But what about if you had a bit of salmon and rice and you fill yourself three quarters full on that food? As opposed to having just salmon which is a p- supposedly the best food, right? The only g- Just salmon, but stuffing yourself to the full. What's better? It's always better. Even a little bit of carbs is way better. Right? I'm not an anti-carb person because the, to- the Torah isn't. The Torah is not at all. But it's better to have three quarters full in your stomach. Never stuff yourself. It's a very important rule. Okay? Physical activity is important. But Maimonides also says no one should ever make his goal so that he should look good. The question isn't only why you're doing the physical activity. Right? There must be a greater goal than the physical activity itself. If the goal is just the physical activity, it will bring you down. How many people work out in the gym all day and night and they get depressed? How come? Because it's meant to empower you. It's not meant to lower you down. You're meant to work out, but the goal isn't that you should have a perfect body. Because then you might end up working out for hours on end and straining the heart. You know, too much working out is bad for the heart too. Walking is also good. No one says that you have to work out uh, uh, 150 pounds or whatever it is every day. Right? You can also walk. That's also good on the heart. Maimonides says that every time you should, wa- you should work out till you earn a sweat, a good sweat. But that's it. No overdoing it. I know people who work out twice a day. So it's exaggerated. I know you want to look good for the summer, but it's still exaggerated, right? That's called, in Judaism, it's because what am I doing it for? I'm doing it so that I can be a good servant of God, not so that I can look good. Because if I do it just to look good, what happens if I don't look good and I work out, like me? I'll get depressed, <laughs> right? I work out, work out, still don't look good. What's going on here? I'm, you know, it's true. <laughs> So good point, good point. Wow. I agree on this one. So, so here's another aspect: clothing. You could be like us. We work out, we don't look good, and we're all single. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, seriously. Okay, next. No comment. <laughs> next, clothing. In the Talmud, clothing is called kabduta. What does kabduta sound like? Which word in Hebrew? Kavod. Honor. The clothes you wear gives you a sense of honor. If someone feels not good with himself, not good with himself, get yourself some nice clothes. Shopping for a bit, get yourself some nice clothes. It actually will give you a sense of respect. 
If somebody feels that I'm down, put on a nice coat, a nice coat. Walk around. Right. You don't have to have the tag still on. You can take the tag off so that no one knows that you're right, that you've got a new suit. You don't have to announce it to the world. But you could look good. Right. Looking good is also the way you dress. Sometimes a person can dress in a way that's respectful and that would influence the inside as well. So clothing is another one. And colors. I gave a class on this. But colors can actually affect me, affect you in terms of how you think. If a person is exposed all the time right, to an indoor environment and the screen that they're seeing is multiple colors that are flying and flashing in screens, eventually that's going to affect you. We need to expose ourselves to natural colors. These are all things that can actually affect us. Imagine somebody who's in a room which is completely red. Put him in there for a day. How will he feel afterwards? Hungry? Hungry? Yeah. Hangry too, right? Angry, full of blood, right? Full of anger. A person needs to be calm. And how do you be, how do you earn a sense of calm? That's why, by the way, green, the three main colors, right? Is green, blue, and red. Red is gvura. Blue is chesed. And green is yesod. Also bina, bina. Uh, I don't know, but there's a there's a book, a Kabbalistic book, written by Ramosha Kodavaro called Pardes Rimonim. And in that book, he has a book just on colors and the effect of colors on us spiritually. Green represents Bina. That's what it says that the world was created with the color green. The foundation, the start, the first speck of the world was started with green. Green is like getting back to the source, to the beginning. And that's why... If you look at green for a long time, what, what does it do to you? Think of the color green. What does it do to you? It makes me feel great. It makes you feel calm. Yeah. Right? Thank I God. It makes you feel good. <laughs> right? This Tiferet, harmony is yellow. Yellow represents harmony. That's why you feel happy when you feel like there's a, you know, two different oppositions coming together and you're like, wow. When... Different sounds of music, one high note and low note, and they come together in harmony. It makes you happy. That's why yellow is always the smiley face. If you think about a smiley face, we draw it in the color yellow. It's, for no, it's not for no reason. Yellow represents the, the perfect balance called tiferet. It's the balance of the colors coming together that gives us a yellow effect. Right? It's a balance of uh, red and blue coming together. You'll get yellow. Isn't that interesting? So that's called Tiferet. When you have the Chesed and the Gvura coming together, you'll have what we call Tiferet, which is the perfect balance. It makes us happy. But when a person thinks of green, he gets back to... It's a healing color. In hospitals, you'll see the color green, blue, right? A lot of white. Green is a healing sense of color. It takes us back to the beginning. Uh, Ramosha Cordovera says that somebody who focuses for a long time on green, if they're sick, they can actually heal themselves just by thinking of the color. Isn't that interesting? If somebody actually focuses, a quick Kabbalistic teaching, if someone puts their focus on a certain color, it can actually heal you. So, what do we speak about tonight? We spoke about the idea of thinking, of at least thinking or realizing 
How much good is happening behind the scenes without us knowing about it? When someone thinks and understands that there's a whole world running in my body without me even uh, subconsciously, a whole nervous system that's constantly doing things for me, I will feel a sense of joy. How much good is happening to me behind the scenes? Tremendous amounts. When we focus on the negative, it hurts. But when we think about all the good that's happening in this world, Hashem does great wonders alone. Not with anybody else, alone. Because when He does it for me, no one can even know about it. How much do we know about scientifically and how much more do we need to learn? There's probably no end. Okay? And then we mentioned uh, some of the physical ways that we can maintain mental health besides for the aspect of emunah, of recognizing the good that's happening in my life. We also mentioned some of the mental, uh, physical things that we could do in the world to also maintain a mental, uh, healthy lifestyle, which include... Um, not overreacting and not allowing the emotions to take over, breathing well first, take, give it some time, sleeping well, eating well, having good activity, physical activity, which is either walking uh, or doing some, some sport, but not too much, right? not overstraining. Right? The goal is so that you can be a better servant of God, that you can live long. Clothing. If somebody feels down, elevate your clothing. Kabduta, which means... Respect. Clothing gives you respect on the outside and also colors. Uh, they also, people say today, I will wear what I want. I will dress the way I want. You can. But it will affect how you feel. There's no question about it. You can do whatever you want. No one's stopping you. If you want, you can cover your face in tattoos and no one will stop you. Well, actually, Judaism says you shouldn't do it. But even Judaism says you shouldn't do it. It's terrible. Right? But... If you did it, is God going to come down and stop you? No, you're in a world of free will. You're in a world of free will. But at the end of the day, at the end of the day, if we respect ourselves in a certain way, it will have an effect on us. How we live is how we will be affected in the mind and how we actually walk in the street as well. Our mental health is affected by the things we do on the outside as well. Tattoo is another whole discussion, another whole talk in itself. But, uh, but in any way... Uh, physical activity, clothing, thinking about good colors, being outside, not being locked inside. If you are, if you are locked inside, you are lucky to live in LA. In England, I had it was freezing and then horrible in the summer. So most of the time, I had to if I wanted to work out, it had to be in the gym. Here, you, you can work, work out outside. There's no excuse. I think it's better to work out outdoors than it is to work out indoor in after being in an office all day and then working out indoor? How many people here, how many people here drive their car stuck in traffic and then suddenly see a person running and you're like, I wish I could do that. Right? Do you ever go through that moment? No. Or driving, I have, I used to have, I used to have that. I used to have that. I was, uh, I used to have that when I was driving. I used to see people bike. I said, oh, I wish I could bike. I was such a, and now I bike. I have a bike and I don't... Uh, thank you. But I do, uh, not out of jealousy, because I felt like that's a great way for me to be healthy whilst you know, dealing with the kids and everything else. I don't have much time to go to the gym. But at least here, I'm forced to be healthy in some way. So, uh, 
that's my um, blessing to you that you should all be healthy, both mentally and physically. Never forget the good that happens to you. And you are blessed both behind the scenes and uh, all we've got to do is look after ourselves. That's what we've got to do. And it, it takes a bit of little things like changing the way I dress or the way I think of myself or the colors that I think of, the way I ex- expose myself, my surroundings, little things that add up and will definitely have a huge impact on my general health as a whole. So uh, if you do have questions, please be my guest. Here you can join my podcast and uh, join into the question. Yeah, please. Hello, Rabbi. Hey. Um, my question is about the story of Balak and Binam. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you mentioned that Balak saw the Jewish people and saw that they were a smaller uh, tribe and realized that he wanted to pick a battle with them spiritually and not physically. Yes. And my question is, how come he decided to do it spiritually if he was the bigger tribe? Because he saw the Egyptians coming against the Jews. And look what happened to the Egyptians. He saw that their power isn't the physical. They have a spiritual power. I'm not going to have a chance. They managed to take out uh, a few other people that came to kill them. Right? They managed to stop them. So their strength is a different type of strength. We're, talking, we're also talking about a time where they saw it was during Mount, when Mount Sinai happened, when there was a great revelation. The whole world heard about it. Okay? So at such a time, when they saw that the power of the Jewish people is the, phys- is the spiritual, he said, let's fight them spiritually because physically we ain't it's not going to work and by the way that's how it has been for many generations people have tried to convince the jews not just to die physically but to die spiritually like the greeks the the in the story of purim which is the rome the the persians they tried to physically annihilate us they wanted like the like hitler physically annihilate us just no more jews but then you have the story of the Greeks. They wanted to actually take away our light, the Torah, the values. They wanted our values, but they didn't want us to. They wanted to take our connection to God. They wanted to take away our spirituality, and they failed. So we face two battles. You should know. There's a spiritual battle. What is everyone going to say, right? If I do something good, and then there's a physical battle, of whether it's my health, my body, or the physical body with other battle with other people. Make sense? Yeah. Okay. Anyone else? Yes, please, Omri. Yeah, I found it. I found it really interesting uh, when you were talking about not completely emptying out your plates, only eating uh, three quarters of the plate. Um, I I don't know if I was raised this way, but I feel like a I feel a certain way about not about throwing away food. Um, and I wanted to know if there's like uh, any Jewish teachings, any Tal- Talmudic uh, decisions uh, good question. that were made about Very this. Very good question. There is uh, a, a discussion of Baal Tashchit. Baal Tashchit means, this is a com- also a, a teaching in the Torah, that one must not waste. We're not meant to waste good. We learn it from the trees. You're not allowed to just throw down, cut down trees. We're not allowed to just waste food, fruit. You're not... Against Judaism. But the Talmud also says a very powerful idea. Now, don't forget this ever. You ready? Bal tashchit de guf adif. Destruction, uh, wasting of your body versus wasting food, 
Which one's more important? Your body. Therefore, better to throw away the food than to throw away your body. Meaning, if I have candy in front of me, and I know that if I put this in my body, it's going to be bad for me. It's full of bad things. It's not got any nutrition. Throwing it in the garbage is a better sense of bad tashkhit. Throwing it in the garbage is better than throwing it in your body. Because either way, you're destroying something. Either destroying your body or destroying the food. The whole point of food is so that we can elevate the world. If we're going to destroy our bodies, then there's no, there's a, that's another day of mitzvah taken away from the world. You have to know the sin of Adam and, right, Adam and Chavat was with food. The sin of Adam and Chavat was with food. Well, on a certain level it was about food, but in another level... Not listening to God, right? But at the end of the day, it was with food. You understand? At the end of the day, it wasn't with something else. It was a food problem. Food was the means. And that should teach me a very powerful lesson. That it starts... Food has a huge aspect of doing things which are wrong or good. Food has a huge influence on me in terms of what I will be also. How I eat, what I eat. The way I eat, all of this has an impact on me. So, um, the point of food is to help me elevate the world. If, if that energy is, is going to destroy me, then, then what's better? Destroying me or destroying the food? Well, of course, it's better. What's worse, yeah. right? It's worse <laughs> to destroy me. So it's, you'd rather throw the food. Make Thanks, sense? Rabbi. Of course, it's a pleasure. You, you said something? Right. Thank God. Right. See, you see how technology has helped us do more mitzvot and be better in this world? You hear that? That's also because we transitioned from an agrarian society to an industrial society, but that's a different story. No, but that's a good point. The fact that we have a huge abundance available to us, we now have the ability to overeat, and that's also unhealthy. Right? We, We... uh, it says that the, the good people eventually get fat, meaning not physically, right? Not physically. They get fat in money. Resources. They have a lot of resources and then they just start despising people. Oh, look at them. Oh, look at him. Look at them, right? The, the, this, the good people eventually, they start succeeding and they start despising others. They say, oh, who's this little kid? Why should, but you were there once. You were once a kid. Why are you thinking you're better than them? Oh, because I, I've become big. I've become successful. So that's a, that's a problem too. You're right. Anyone else? Thoughts? All right. Well, thank you all for coming and joining. And I hope you, uh, hope you have a good one. Thank you.